and the leftist people like they you're not helping when you say when you say that that it's Hamas what Hamas did it's it's a good thing they have to fight back blah 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 dude people are suffering you you you're you're tweeting on Twitter and saying whatever you want and you think you feel yourself like a revolutionary what are you talking about and and you and and I don't want to start talking about the 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 red fascists the, the leftists who support Bashar al-Assad and 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 Putin and stuff like that you know there's lots of them how how did this happen hello and welcome to episode 40 of let the meat cake my name is Jack my co-hosts are John and Ace today we are talking to Alan a Syrian refugee who participated in the uprising against Assad around 2012 we go into how the revolution was both positively and negatively impacted by outside forces while also discussing the impacts of the revolution since that time as well as uh, getting into the Israel and Palestine issue. But before that, let's get to some headlines. Chinese dictator Xi Jinping has returned to the United States for the first time in six years in mid-November. This was for bilateral discussions in an effort to normalize relations between China and America following the rising tensions over the last few years. Uh, Xi's trip included a $40,000 ahead dinner with heads of companies like Elon Musk of Tesla, Twitter, and SpaceX. Larry Fink of BlackRock with heads of Pfizer, MasterCard, and Visa also in attendance. The the dinner's purpose is likely to due to the mass exodus of massive companies from China due to growing uh, hostility and xenophobia from both the CCP and Chinese citizens. Yes. Question. You would say it's more towards the xenophobia and not yeah. because these are credit companies, right? And their, ha- their credit is in crisis. Like China's credit system is in free fall. That's right? actually a really good point. But these companies are not so much invested in the economic system of China. They're more so it's it's more that they are there offering the services. Uh, BlackRock is obviously probably probably in China to buy out Evergrande. Uh-huh. If we're really if we're really 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 analyzing it, that's why BlackRock's there. They're looking to buy up the Chinese economy because why the fuck wouldn't they? You know, they're a multi-trillion-dollar company. They definitely have the money to do it. So, but you think the exodus comes from Chinese citizens t- pushing out American companies themselves and because they're leaving for the credit? Yeah. Um, like, like MasterCard and Visa, th- these were bad examples to pick, but um, they were the only ones that were listed. I'm sure that there were other ones there, but mm-hmm. but yeah, so I th- obviously that that is an aspect to it, um, is the, the Evergrande default and economic crisis in china like obviously that's why visa and mastercard are there even i don't even know if china uses visa and mastercard they have their wechat so i I don't even know why they would be there but that's well because credit companies are going to buy debt and all that shit too yeah right elon's there to talk to china to try and make twitter into wechat larry fink is there because of obviously evergrande i'm assuming Pfizer, obvious reasons again. Mastercard and Visa, as you said, it's it's credit related most likely. So, but I I would say that the dinner major reason for the dinner was just to sort of reconnect with these companies because they are leaving. I bet you Nike was there as well. I bet you Apple was there. I bet you all of these companies were there. Even even though China blatantly rips off Apple with Huawei. It doesn't make sense why Apple would continue to do business there. As the trip approached, Chinese state media appeared to 
completely wipe its anti-US propaganda, um, likely at a directive from the state itself, akin to how the US swept its homeless issue under the rug. It's so, that was, I remember that happening. I yeah, totally forgot. It was, it was very no, that funny. That was so funny. And it's, it's pretty, it's, it's very funny, the juxtaposition to America, or more specifically San Francisco, just sort of sweeping the homeless away. Like China is just sort of sweeping their anti-US propaganda under the rug. It's kind of very funny to me that they are still doing this. Uh, the propaganda wing of the CCP also opted to start praising the US, hearkening back to Nanjing, where the US Air Force defended the city from the Japanese when they uh, essentially genocided the entire town. Fun fact, one of my favorite video games as a kid was this shoot-em-up called Flying Tigers. <laughs> Based on this, these guys? I don't know. I don't think so. I I, I don't remember because I'll shoot them up to look the same. But I want to say like one character is a big green thing and the other character is a big red thing. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, this sort of comes in in tune with China's recent actions where they've been trying to rectify their image towards the U.S. Um, or in more in the eyes of Americans where they're getting American politicians to go to China. So Gavin Newsom recently went to China and was praising their uh, Land Rover ripoff like it's the best thing ever, while also abandoning American-built EVs like Lucid, which is literally a Californian company. You would think that he would rather prop them up than uh, a Chinese EV company that is notorious for blowing up. I don't know. That's just me, I guess. The attempts to rectify the anti-US propaganda could also have something to do with the upcoming Taiwanese election in January. Uh, Biden has stated that the US will defend Taiwan in the event of an invasion. However, there's doubt on both sides that A, Biden would actually defend Taiwan and B, that China would actually go through with it. Either way, we will see a massive upswing in Chinese disinformation towards Taiwan because obviously they do not want sighing when in there because uh, she is very very against china um she also visited mar-a-lago to meet donald well, trump it, she's leaving anyway for the next election she's, oh, her, she? her term yeah her term is up but okay. the opposition party the kmt and like mm. whatever the other party is they fell apart their coalition was just fell fell apart so basically okay. that party that's anti-china is going to sweep the election is what we predict okay interesting ultimately with Xi also meeting Donald Trump, it is a good thing that he came to America. Like, normalizing the relations is a good thing. Any diplomatic interactions is a positive. However, the progress was mostly towards stopping precursors of fentanyl and to resume military-to-military -military communications, um, hopefully stemming the issue of China uh, illegally buzzing American, Canadian, and Australian Air Force aircraft. Uh, in international airspace, which is very cool, um, while also doing the the ship ramming with uh, the Philippines and stuff. So all of this is obviously why he was there, and then everything else is on top of that. But the the one thing that wasn't spoken about, at least officially, that people know about, was uh, China utilizing its relations with the people that America doesn't have relations with to them some of the violence in the world, I guess. Talking about Taiwanese elections, John has an update on the global democracy for us. You like that transition? <laughs> I gave one of those early with the Taiwan political thing falling apart. Um, some of these are updates on previous reporting and then some of its other political stuff because we haven't had a steady release schedule this month and there's been a lot of uh, 
stuff uh, going on in democracy. Uh, so Spain, previously we reported on these elections, the left-wing social democrat-esque party stayed in power, and they had to form an alliance with the Junt and then the Catalan Independence Party. And what's important here is that basically the Catalan, the deal is the Catalan party swears like fieldy or you know to the coalition right and uh in exchange they are getting amnesty for their members who held a 2017 referendum that the spanish state declared illegal at the time so nationalists have been mass protesting and fighting police i mean it's kind of over now this is a little maybe two weeks ago but they were uh crying about how socialists were taking over their country because the junta is a very very left-wing party and then of course like uh Catalan Barcelona is like the his is like a historical leftist center of uh, Spain, and like you'll see a lot of like radical leftist communist types coming out of the Catalan movement. And like when I say that, I mean the types of people who like associate with Claire Daly and those Hezbollah is like based type people. Not the best type of politics there, but in general, Catalan independence is something to support. Now, onto the fascism. The Netherlands just had an election. A populist who wants to ban Islam in the burqa won. He's also entirely uh, anti-immigration. People were worried because he won such a majority of the seats that they were like, how are we going to form any coalition? Because most EU governments form, form around coalitions. They're like, how are we going to form a coalition when this guy, you know, without this party? Because they all hate him. Turns out it hasn't been awful so far. Because compromises have had to take place to get the coalition built to form the office. The anti-Islam immigration and leaving the EU, like seceding from the EU, are all essentially off the table, according to reports right now. But that remains to be seen. Argentina, of course. Javier Milei in Argentina obviously won the election. I think most people, this is probably the election most people know about and have been following because this guy is insane, right? And, uh... Most people are probably up to date on this election. Um, guy claims he's anarcho-capitalist, continues to hold anti-abortion views, though. Uh, he talks about cutting most of the government's bloat, which is like, you know, culture, you know, climate change is fake, uh, no office of women, you know, like all this, all these ministries. There's a famous video of him ripping the things off the, he's very eccentric, um, recommend looking him up if you haven't seen him so he also came under fire for privatization of the country's airlines airlines have a common thing in a lot of it's weird how often airlines are like even in turkey there was like a scandal with their airlines foreshadowing to another thing i'm going to report on and he agrees that it should be legal to sell children you know and this is a very obscure libertarian thing about selling children that you'll see i think ayn rand may have been one of the people who talked about supporting it, but I'm not sure about her specifically. Also, the Ayn Rand Institute and these like libertarian institutes have been investing a lot of money in Central and South America. Expect more of this, a lot more. It's definitely going to grow because of the amount of money they're investing. Most people paint him to be a fascist, and I think in rhetoric it's very fascistic and populist, but We'll have to see what happens. The main reason why someone's so insane won is because the guy who is running again is basically responsible for all the country's problems. So when you have one guy who says, I'm going to fix all my problems, and another guy who says, I'm going to get rid of everything this guy did and basically overhaul the entire government, 
He's also another big one. He wants to pin their dollar to the U.S. dollar. Didn't work for Lebanon, just so you know. Their economy is still in free fall. So New Zealand just formed a conservative populist government. They had policies that you might have heard of, like banning all future generations from making the choice to smoke. But those things have entirely been axed in their first action. Many Kiwis appear sick of the Labour Party and wanted about anything else. And I think that's to be expected. We see like there was all these like powerful women that they were championing, like Taiwan, Finland, Iceland, uh, Estonia, and then New Zealand. That era of women power is not necessarily coming to an end, but it's just that it's shifting because it always goes back and forth. That's just the nature of politics. We've been fairly left after we've seen like the Donald Trump era with Unite the Right that, you know, and uh, what was the European one? What are they called? Europa? Generation Identity? <laughs> what are they called? Yeah, Generation Identity. Interesting things have happened in Turkey. Uh, a Turkish prisoner associated with anti-government protest in 2013 successfully ran for office and won in Turkey. So this has naturally been classic. I mean, Turkey is just proven to be European, aren't they? This is this is so European of Turkey to do. So the Supreme Court and the Common Courts have basically been arguing. The Supreme Court says that he can't hold the seat and the Common Court says free him. And so the Supreme Court is then going to the courts underneath the Common Court and say, no, don't listen to them. And then um, the Supreme Court ruling against this, the opposition to Erdogan called it a coup against parliament. The leader saying it's, it is an attempt to resist the Constitution. Erdogan's party has remained largely silent on the issue. Now, Nicaraguan leader Daniel Ortega made the decision to leave the Organization of American States, which America called a step away from democracy. And Ortega is kind of one of the famous bad rulers out there. He's not as brought up as much as like Venezuela. He was recently had in a sham election. Sham election. It was mired in controversy, I guess, with the appropriate terms with him, you know, accused of imprisoning opposition. In Italy, George Maloney implemented election reform changes. They're still in the early process. So just this is something to watch. People have said it's a power grab, but it basically it removes the power of the president to elect a prime minister. And it made it like a direct vote where the people actually vote for the president. So it would basically because of Mussolini, Italy's executive branch is like non-existent, like how Ireland's like president doesn't matter, except there's a reason for it in Italy. It's called fascism. So her also being associated and three steps removed from Mussolini's party. This has brought a lot of attention to improving the power of the executive branch um, and people having fears and being critical of it. In Portugal, the prime minister resigned over a probe into allegations of corruption surrounding lithium and hydrogen investments. These investments involve millions of EU cash injections. So it would not only, it's not only a, if these turn out to be like, these millions have been embezzled from the EU. It's a bigger crisis than just Portugal now. It would be a whole EU crisis, especially when it comes to climate change. The EU is heavily leaning into climate change and it would be like a disaster for the climate change movement. So they also may produce snap elections with the country and possibly a political crisis, but some would say it's been in a political crisis since he won an absolute majority last year. He's been in endless scandals, including corruption with the airlines. I reported a few months back that Portugal is one to watch for like democracy uh, controversy. Poland 
notoriously has had kind of fashy guy in power for a while now. That's the president, though. And he is a separate position than the actual PM, which is what this election was for. But it's still, it's going to move the president to not be so fashy. What matters is that Orban lost a friend and Ukraine gained one here. And people would already say that Poland is like a great ally and friend to Ukraine, expect more. Which is good considering that the many in the U.S. seem to want to pull back support for the Ukraine and Russia war. And some of that comes from like the Zionist movement wanting to invest more money into Israelis uh, war in Gaza. So this is generally very, very good for the EU to get this win in Poland. The guy who won used to be the head of the European Council. However, he isn't without scandal either because he investigated Russia coal traders and they accused him of abusing his power to do this. But it's also, you know, it's Russia. So let's maybe run that one by and we'll see what happens there. And a lot of the, a lot of far right politics in Europe has generally been on the rise lately because of the fear mongering in Palestine. It's, you see a lot, like uh, Ireland just had uh, riots over a stabbing, uh, like a mass stabbing, five people got stabbed. And people said that it was like an immigrant or something. And so they all started rioting. The far right started rioting in the streets with anti-immigrant stuff. Ireland has generally always been anti-immigrant, though. They won't even let their own people come back a lot of times. So the rise of Islamophobia in Europe is likely to come about again, along with the rise of these, the second coming of like, not so much Golden Dawn, but maybe some friends of Golden Dawn and things like that. There's generally going to be a rise in the far right in Europe and it will we'll see what happens and how much power that far right will gain. They've generally been winning elections. Spain and Poland are big wins for the left, but they've generally been winning elections in the EU, the right wing. The Netherlands was a huge win for the right. As, and I think Germany also shifted right. They're in an economic crisis of their own right now because, same with Britain, it's caused by bad policy by conservatives. Anyway, enough about democracy and government. Let's talk about war. Also, Venezuela held a referendum to annex Guyana. Guyana is pretty spooked about that. That's another government thing that's going on. And also Ethiopia wants water access. And they used to have it when Eritrea was part of Ethiopia. So now more political fallout from the Tigray genocide is going on where the factions and coalitions he formed to make the genocide are now fracturing because that's what happens with fascist groups is that they, they can't agree on what fascist direction to take fascism. Nobel Peace Prize winner, by the way. Anyway, speaking of Nobel Peace Prize for ending war, here's some reports about <laughs> war. So um, we're going to be uh, sticking to the African continent here. Uh, basically, on November 4th, a bunch of armed men, they stormed the jail in uh, the Ghanaian capital of Conakry, in Guinea's capital of Conakry, stormed a jail and they broke out the former president uh, and former head of a military junta there, Musa Dadis Kamara and three of his officials. Kamara and 11 other people involved in his government are currently standing a trial for the murder of 157 people by security forces at the Conakry Stadium in 2009. And so basically, within about like 24 hours, they managed to capture Kamara and another guy, and they put him back into jail. There is one guy, and mind you, this break, prison break took place on November 4th, and one guy named Colonel Claude Peavy is still on the run. So he's been on the run for nearly a month now after this jailbreak happened, and the uh, authorities in Guinea are offering 54,000 euros for anyone who can find him or give information that would lead to his capture. Basically, 
Kamara and his lawyers are denying, like after the prison escape happened, they, they denied that it was a, a coordinated escape attempt. Instead, they said it was a an attempt to kidnap him. Now, obviously, given the circumstances, some people in the Ghanaian government found this um, uh, a little bit hard to believe. And following the prison break, the... Uh, <clears throat> The current Ghanaian ruling military junta, led by Colonel Mamade Dumboya, decided to fire 58 members of the security forces for obvious reasons. You know, someone just breaks into the, to a jail and takes out a guy who's like currently standing trial. And um, so, yeah, basically the, the sum up of the situation is about a month ago, break into the jail, they get out Kamara and two of his associates. Two, two of them are captured back. This Claude PV guy is still on the run almost a month later. And so for those of you wondering why I'm uh, a former president of the country is in jail, basically him and 11 others, like I said earlier, are standing trial. And the trial has been going on since about last year. And what happened was the crime they're standing trial for is on September 28th, 2009. A couple thousand people will gather at the Kanakri Stadium in the capital. And basically they protest Kamara's bid to uh, to run for president for a presidential election because he'd taken power in a coup the year before after the the president who came before him died right so they come in they're pissed that this guy is running for president after taking power in a coup and so pretty much what happens is the security forces in the stadium just open fire on a bunch of people a lot of women were uh, were raped and about 157 people died or were killed actually and another 1,200 were wounded. Immediately after the incident, there was a pretty uh, mass cover-up attempt by the um, security forces. So, like, they sealed off the entrances to the stadium. They blocked people from going to the morgue. Uh, they removed a bunch of bodies from the stadium to try and bury them into mass graves, things like that. Kamara and his associates, their defense in this trial has basically been that they, and Kamara, this is more so Kamara's defense specifically, is that even though he was president at the time, he had no control over what the security forces did, which isn't, isn't a great excuse, to be honest. In 2010, Kamara goes into exile in Burkina Faso. And in 2021, he goes back to Guinea. And he's basically been on trial for this uh, massacre that occurred at the stadium in 2009 since around 2022. And it's it'll be interesting to see where the trial goes now, given that Claude Peavy, who was one of the main members of Kamara's military government at the time, is still on the run. So how that will affect the trial will, will kind of be uh, interesting to watch. But yeah, ultimately, he, he is back in prison and his trial is still ongoing. As for right now, Guinea is still under the control of a military junta that took power from a guy named Alpha Conde back in 2021. Conde essentially sought to increase his decade-long tenure as president by seeking a third term. And um, uh, there were a lot of protests against his election bid, which he violently suppressed. Conde, despite being, I believe, the first democratically elected leader in Ghanaian history, was not very well liked, which kind of gave a modus for the coup to happen. So the, I'm talking about the coup in 2021. And yeah, that's, that's kind of what went down. Now, in somewhat more recent news, we're going to move over to Sierra Leone. And basically, about two days ago, so November 26th, a group of a... Uh, 
unidentified armed men that the Sierra Leonean government has been calling renegade soldiers attacked um, the Wilberforce Army barracks in the uh, the capital Freetown, and they also attempted to break into an armory. During the attacks, there was also a prison break at the Padamba Road Prison, which is, I, I, I believe, the largest, if not one of the largest prisons in the country, and 2,000 inmates escaped from that prison um, the Sierra Leonean government is saying that these guys who basically carried out this attack were current members of the military and former members of the military, leading some to speculate that this might have been a coup attempt, although there's nothing really to confirm that. And a lot of the details that the uh, government is giving out right now are kind of vague. The government also has reason to believe that the attack on the military base and the jailbreak were coordinated so it's not like they were isolated incidents. But yeah, basically, the government in Sierra Leone is saying that they've arrested most of the perpetrators of the attack, which I, I believe the number is at 23 right now of the people that they've arrested. And they've implemented a, a curfew nationwide from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And yeah, 13 members of the security forces were killed in the clashes. And it's kind of relevant to mention that Sierra Leone did have recent elections that were contentious, to say the least. The current president, Julius Matabio, won a election in June that was kind of controversial. His opponent, Samura Kamara, basically after the election came out and said that he did not recognize the results of the election as being legitimate. And he said that like the elections were lacking transparency and so forth. And kind of throughout the campaigning process, there were a bunch of attacks on supporters, either from Kamara's party or from Bio's party. So it was a pretty tense election. There were two instances where Kamara's party headquarters were raided by police, got shot up twice. I believe a woman was severely wounded in one incident. And in the other incident, a guy was actually who was actually present at the party headquarters was killed, if I'm not mistaken. This is kind of why some people think it might have been a coup, because obviously they had an election not too long ago, back in June. And then this happens with the election being contentious and things like that. Also, for those of you who don't know where Sierra Leone is, that's the movie from Blood Diamond. Just putting it out there, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's 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 kind of it's kind of Beast what we of had No here. Nation might have been shot there as well, but I think it takes place in like an unnamed country. Yeah, Beast of No Nation is unnamed, but yeah, people have think... speculated whether it's Liberia or Sierra Leone. So I also you I also wanted to add one more thing about this. Is one is kind of a silly thing. So. You mentioned, like, why is the president in jail, like the former president in jail? And I'm just thinking to myself, because he was the former president, right? This is like uh, such a normal thing that you see because these people abuse their power and end up paying for it in the long run. But also there is like, look at Pakistan. There's plenty of people. They remove political opposition, things like that. Ortega's jailed, so-called yeah, like, opposition. I, I don't want to give credit to the Ghanaian government. For, for multiple reasons, obviously, but it is it is a good thing to note that in Guinea, the the um the trial, as far as I know, is being completely held by the Ghanaian government. So this is actually an effort by like Guinea to kind of bring Kamara to and his associates to justice in a way. You know, it's not like some ICC trial or anything like that. It well, is a it is it is an internal trial. So the reason why I just wanted to bring it back up is because there was one other thing happening in South American democracy that is really funny. So Bolsonaro is terrified that he's going to be arrested. Why? I mean, look what he did to Lula. 
right? Mm-hmm. So there's have been people that have been calling because he had kind of a coup. He had the, they had their own January 6th. It was very funny because the police just let him walk in and then arrested all of them. But that's when he was in Florida mysteriously while this was going on. So he wouldn't be associated with it. But recently, that was about a month ago when they're calling for that arrest. Recently, he's been in a new scandal. He has now come under fire for harassing a humpback whale. So he was, so it says they were, he was riding a jet ski too close to it, about 15 meters from a distressed whale. So highly illegal to harass whales. So now he's terrified that he's going to go down for harassing this whale. They called for an investigation about it. I'm going to be honest. He's under investigation. Whale. I thought he tried to shoot it. Yeah. You, but why was it distressed in the first place? Huh? Also, imagine being on a jet ski 15 meters from a distressed humpback whale. Yeah, no, thank you. dangerous as hell. Well, he likes to live dangerously. Let's look at that how many times like, he's gotten COVID. Right. That, that sounds like a great way to get launched 50 feet into the air. Now, I'd pay to say that. Uh, also, we still are going to do, we're still planning on doing a Myanmar stream. It's coming together a little bit. So that's why we didn't do any reporting on it today. I know people have been asking us about it. We will do a whole stream on it and be as in-depth and thorough as possible with it. And uh, with that, here is our episode on Syria. It's kind of to replace our pilot episode because people always want to start their thing on like episode one and like that pilot is rough. So it's yeah, yeah, it's very rough. I mean, it was two it was two uh, interviews stapled together, so it was a a test run. Yeah. The definition of a pilot. <laughs> I mean, you can go look at how much better the show has gotten. Yeah, how much better we've constructed it. I mean, that's why we're not going to take it down. It, it's still got relevant. Well, information. I was like, I was going to say we paywall it anyway. Uh, anyway. It's, it's kind of a remake of that first episode, but also getting into Palestine. Probably we'll do a stream on Palestine soon. There's just Probably so much. Over. I mean, everyone has been following the ceasefire, so mm. there's just so much going on there as well, mainly reporting on what would happen up to the ground invasion, and then the ground invasion happened. So, anyway, here's the episode. We have a weapon more powerful than the British Empire, and that weapon is our refusal to bow to any order but our own, any institution but our own. My name is Alan Kilo, and um, I'm basically one of the first people who participated in the Syrian revolution and tried to initiate it. First, it started actually on the 15th of March in 2011 in Dara city, but then spread uh, to, the, to the rest of the Syrian cities. I actually started on the 18th, that, that's when everybody else started. And uh, what I did was basically when I when I knew it started, I posted on Facebook because it started on Facebook. Fuck you, Bashar Assad, something like that, and got immediately banned from family members, threatened by family members, by friends, some people who were afraid of uh, the system because the system is very dictatory and it was a death sentence for them. So they all out out or felt the need to to spread their allegiance by threatening me and stuff like that. I didn't care about that because I knew this will happen. Actually, it's two, two years before that, I was asking myself, how can people put up with this shit? You, you're not allowed to talk about anything. You're not about, allowed to talk about how the system is working, the economic system, the 
people are starving. It wasn't a good situation. Now it's much worse, of course, but some people say we were living, but it was a shitty situation. And we started the revolution thinking naively that we can enhance our situation and make it into a democracy somehow. But unfortunately, the revolution got uh, stolen from us, I can say. A lot of people attribute it to the Arab Spring. Do you consider it part of the Arab Spring or do you consider it something that happened on its own independently? No, of course, of course, it belongs to the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring was Tunisia and, and Syria and, and Egypt, of course. Those are the three main revolutions. I think some people started some stuff in other countries, but it didn't work out like how it worked uh, in Egypt. Algeria tried to do something. They succeeded, but the situation in Algeria is also very bad right now. It's very complicated. But uh, definitely, uh, Syria is one of the countries in, of this Arabic Spring. Now, I kind of like interrupted you. You were going on to say something about how the revolution was stolen. Uh, yes. Um, well, actually, I got asked this question two, two days ago by a, by a famous uh, writer, and he told me, what faction, which group did you belong to when you started the revolution? And I was like, dude, we, we didn't think about that. I was 19 at the time, and we just hated the system. We just went went out to the streets, and we didn't care about all of that. We didn't care about labels and political backgrounds. Everybody had a different political background. Some were communists, some were actually religious, some were like theocrats. Some were, most of us were, uh, were lib liberal. I can honestly say I didn't have a specific political campus. I just wanted the fall of the system and the start of a democracy. And how it got stolen from us by, it depends from region to region. I belong to the Kurdish region, so it was taken from us by the PKK. And that was a positive thing, to be honest with you. But that's the only exception that you can say that it was positive that the revolution was taken from a movement because our movement was very shaky. We we had everybody had different political aspects. Everybody had different opinions. We didn't know what to do when the military started to be separated from the main Syrian military and started forming these fractions, military fractions, and wanted to fight back uh, fight back the system. Lots of people were against it, actually. And some people said, we, we want to keep the revolution peacefully. And some people said, we cannot continue with this peaceful re revolution. It doesn't work like that. We have to fight fire with fire. And when it started, the military started to fight against each other. I think a year after that, also fighters from the outside came to, to from like from Algeria, from Tunisia, from, from Afghanistan, from Saudi Arabia, from everywhere. Like ISIS members had lots of Saudi members, I think. And it started going really badly when the, when people from all over the world came to, to, to our country to participate in the Holy Jihad, as they called it. And that's how it got stolen from us. So Kurdish region, the movement was stolen from us, but it was positive. PKK is actually, I think it was the best case scenario that the PKK, they knew what to do. And we didn't know, absolutely, we had no idea what we were going to do. We had no idea what we wanted. And we had big problems in the in the leadership. It was me and a few guys. We were, we were the coordination of Amuda. It was, I think it was the biggest coordination of the revolution in Syria. Beside another one, maintaining revolution uh, points and talking about liberty and stuff like that. And in our ranks, there was some people who took advantage of this 
And we were like people on the ground who were planning the demonstrations, organizing everything, fighting uh, the signs and stuff like that, and doing stuff on the ground. And some people were pretending to be part of our ranks and making deals with shady organizations from the outside and infiltrating us. And uh, I remember one time the leader of the movement and my friend told me, you know, um, we actually got lots of food in, in warehouses and few members had the key and we were supposed to distribute this food on the people, but it was stolen from one member. Like we went there and there was nothing inside. And I was like, oh, this is very fucked up. We had some moments we were like, what 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 did we start like should we have started all of this turned into chaos and then came the PKK and they took control and they protected the area but other areas weren't so lucky like us like other like the Arabic regions some parts were taken from Islamists some parts were taken from ISIS you remember when the UN declared war on the on ISIS and some parts were taken by the militia that split from the main Syrian army and and some state in the Syrian army and control and it's very very complicated it depends on the area and which area and which place yeah to what degree of success would you say uh the revolution has had so far zero I think zero success unfortunately there's like there's no strategic success or moral success or anything the only moral success you can define a success as like saying the words that we dislike Bashar al-Assad because you weren't allowed to, to say anything against him. It was basically like North Korea without the, the extreme restraints in North Korea, but it was you weren't allowed to criticize anything. If you say anything against the system, you were taken away and never heard from. It's, it was very brutal, one of the most brutal dictatorship in the world. And that's the only success, success you can say you can call success is that we rebuilt against the system but other than that there is no meaningful success because 11 million homeless refugees all over the world 11 12 million and there's some people say a million people died some people say 500,000 died UN says uh, like quarter of a million died but it was still a, a big tragedy so I don't I don't see any success to it. the only success is like the Kurdish people got a little bit of autonomy and it is still bad i mean yeah it's like if the condition syria is in you know it's you know every year any stat or index you look at it's going to be in the bottom three for since this started so yeah so it says like six million are displaced but some people say 10 million and it depends on every chart you you think of there's like millions i think two million in, in europe alone i don't know but even with this chart it's like six million it's like Holy shit, like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's also from 2018, so... Yeah, yeah, it's like five years ago. And I don't... There's no success, like... Uh, it was a revolution at the start also. You can call it a revolution at the start, but it turned into a civil war because Bashar al-Assad had... Um, he had a plan, and his plan worked. I can't see any success. Yeah, that's to answer your question, unfortunately. Like, look at the fractions and look at the suffering and brutality and death. Uh, yeah, Bashar Assad had he had the target to turn uh, the revolution into a playground between different religions, different uh, cultures. Because Syria is, is actually very rich in in, in culture. You know, we we have Muslim Christians, Assyrians, Kurds, like everything. And well, we had we even had Jewish people um, a long time ago. And 
he his propaganda was that this is an Islamic revolution, which is not correct. It wasn't correct at the start, but he turned it into an Islamic revolution. Like he 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 intentionally massacred Sunni villages and propagandized it by calling it the war on on the Sunnis indirectly. Of course, he will not officially say that, but his his soldiers will will spread these rumors and these words as they kill people in Sunni villages. And the Sunnis were like, this must be like a cleansing against Muslims because Assad, Bashar al-Assad is, is Shia, Shiite, he's Alawite, this is like a fraction from Shiite, belongs to Iran, um, fraction of Islam, and it's a minority in Syria, and he turned it into um, a war between different fractions of Islam, and he succeeded, succeeded at that because if you think about it, a friend of mine named Kutaiba, he was like an old friend of mine from before the revolution, and he's one of the people who was displaced from the Golan Heights. He, his family used to live in Golan Heights, and Israel took that place, and he was living in Damascus. And when the revolution started, he called me, you Kurds are, you want your own states, and you want your own rights, and you want to separate yourself, blah, blah, blah. And, and my, my position was, you, you don't have to think about this right now. It's, nobody called for the like separation of the state of the Kurdish state nobody talked about it actually but now that you you're like hating against us then maybe we should start it and and my point is I I got very angry and I I told my friend like our mutual friend about this conversation and he told me hey mate um Kutaiba's two brothers died like a week ago like they died uh, they, they were killed and and I I had the sympathy like I understood these people cannot think straight because their families their their homes got destroyed their families died they got tortured they got hungry they were in a very very bad situation so this is how you turn a revolution into a conflict in a civil war you turn people against each other and he succeeded he succeeded with in that and people were not ready not educated enough very simple people that just wanted democracy something like they could call a secular country and so it didn't succeed in iran we've like uh we've seen protests you know and um i have a strong belief that the regime there specifically like kind of sows seeds of kurdish nationalism to keep the kurds and the persians from actually uniting yes. so uh um, exactly so considering iran yeah, is actually also very involved in syria i was curious um yeah. you know how much blame do you put on assad and well, you know, how much other outside little forces came in and also helped this vision he had? He actually, like a lot, to, to answer it simply, he got a lot of assistance from Iran and, and Russland, Russia. He basically got thousands of soldiers from Iran and thousands of soldiers from Russland before before Russia attacked, attacked Syria even like bases and they got military and assistance and when the un conference and the un meeting when they voted to start a military military action against the syrian system against bashar al-assad like like what they did in libya russia and china vetoed it so he he got political help from from china and russia he got the military help from iran and um, and russia and also from hezbollah and lebanon so he, he got lots of uh, outside help I would say. I don't think he would have succeeded with turning the fires of the revolution without this help, to be honest with you. I agree on one specific part there is because, God, I don't remember the exact year, but at one point, it was really before Russia got heavily involved. Like, Assad was on the fence, like, literally, like, backed against the wall by militia at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I think he was. In, in some points, it was very near, and then Russia intervened and didn't allow it to happen. There's lots of beneficiaries in the region from the lack of democracy in this country. The number one beneficiary is, I think it, it's Israel. And when the revolution started, like the first month, the Ramil Makhlouf, his name is Ramil Makhlouf, he's the cousin of Bashar al-Assad. And he's basically, his the whole economy of Syria is in his hand. Like his, the whole economy, everything. You can you can name everything and he ha- has a hand in it. And he literally said in a speech, Syrian security is Israel's security. Like I quote, 100%. He said, like, if we fall, then Israel falls. And that's all the thing you know, because if there's a democracy in Syria, then the situation will switch for the Israeli government. And I'm not talking about anti-Semitism and um, like brutal war against Israel or anything like that. No, I'm, t- I'm saying politics will change and Palestinians will be able to migrate to Syria to like friendlier country for them and the whole economy of israel also will switch because israeli israel actually um, takes advantage of lots of palestinian workers they give them low wages it's basically slavery in israel you know it's uh when, when, yeah, when we this, talk about this sometimes when it, it started in in gaza when hamas started attacking israel there were ten thousand gazans in in israel working and with visas and everything and now all people like they're either either jailed or like they're illegals in Israel right now. Man, it's a very complicated game. It's everybody has their agendas. Even Iran now is taking advantage of everything to calm the fires of revolution in their own country. And it's basically, there's lots of scenarios and and, and variables to to consider. For example, if, if you say Israel, for example, turn into a democracy for everybody in the future, for Palestinians and Syrians, uh, for in Israelis, I'm sorry and they give equal rights and everything is, is perfect and maybe in the future they they forget the hate among each other what would that mean for the dictatorships in the region you have to consider the dictatorships jordan is a dictatorship syria is a like obvious dictatorship iran is a dictatorship saudi arabia is a dictatorship you have to think about all these systems like what would they do it's, would people like migrate to israel will they seek asylum in israel there's lots lots and lots of complicated variables and geopolitical variables that you have to consider for everything it's a game like everybody's playing their own game the i really condemn you you have to condemn what hamas did and we we condemn what hamas did of course but you have to understand that israel created hamas Mm-hmm. They created Hamas. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not like very complicated thing to 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 think about. The you know this revolution always uh, gets stolen from organized militias and what how Hamas was created in the in eighty six there was a revolution in Palestine called the Stone Revolution. You can Google it and it was with stones, just basically stones. And then Hamas came and they Islamized the the movement. They Islamized the movement and they stole it. And they militarized it, and and Netanyahu was happy. It was his birthday gift, I think, or something. Yeah, you can see a lot of quotes with him talking about it and how it benefits them. They're very open about a lot of this stuff, and that's yeah. the thing is like people get lost a little too much in the sauce, where it's like you you have to listen to what they're saying, but also know how to like listen to what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's actually makes makes you sad when you think like how brutal the world is. Yeah, well, you look at the uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. A lot of especially like left wing people in America think that like America. Like Noam Chomsky is a big example of like America's fault. The Soviet Union fell, you know, because they wanted to expand NATO and stuff. 
but nobody wanted yeah. the Soviet Union to fall. It was a catastrophe. Yeah. War instantly broke out. Everything destabilized. You know, look at Armenia now. Instant genocide in in uh yeah. Bosnia. Well, that was also Yugoslavia falling. Mm. You know, and yeah, yeah. You look at Iran now with the regime. They want to say that the U.S. backed those protests. The U.S. didn't back those protests. The U.S. didn't care. The U.S. does not care at all about the protests in Iran because they don't want the dictatorship to leave. It's better than you the know, unknown. It's, uh, you, you know, I think about it. Um, I, I sometimes think about Noam Chomsky and how he changed because Noam Chomsky used to be very based and, and he, he used to know his stuff, but I think he's he got too old and he, he I think it's cognition thing, you know, it's like he's 95 years old now. You cannot expect him to like, stay in the same mental capacity as he used to be. He was He used to be like really like this intellectual demon and now it's just what remains, you know. He basically what he what he also said about about Syria came true. He, he predicted what will happen in 2013, and I, I remember seeing that video in 2013. It was like this will never happen, and everything he said turned true. I think though those were his last days as a sane person. <laughs> and <laughs> what's basically happened to the Jewish people, and I respect the Jewish people. They suffered a lot in in um, a lot of anti-Semitism, like from ancient times to to like World War Two. And when you think about it neutrally, the Jewish people suffered the most like in history, but you cannot justify their suffering by also condemning other people by also suffering. You know, it's, and, and think about it logically, because the German media and lots of people in Europe say the, the Jewish people and the Germans, the Jewish people and the Germans, the Jewish people were Germans. They, they lived there for hundreds and thousands of years. They were German. Like, you, you could not make a difference if you look at them. They're the same people, basically. And they they really got treated in the U.S. and, and in Europe very badly. And, and they thought to themselves, now we, we think we have to make a state for ourselves to live peacefully. There are these people, primitive people living in this country. And it's said in the Torah, in our book, that this this place is our, the promise given to us by God. So it's basically a theological idea. So they went there and took it, you know, the Balfour promise and, and, and how it started. And you can look, you can read articles from the 30s, like the United States were having debates, like should they support this project or should not, should not support the Zionist project. And I have to understand, like, why couldn't Europe and America just accept them? Like just integrate them, and of course, that's uh, like America bad. has almost okay. as many Jews as Israel. So that's the thing is, is that nobody about... else wanted them. We yeah. took a fifth of them after mm -hmm. the Holocaust. Right? I think that would nobody else option. would yeah. take them though. I think, but they were they weren't they were given an option, were they not? Well, also another thing is that oh, sure. like they helped build Iraq, Syria, like all mm -hmm. these all these places in the Middle East, and when the Zionist project made the state, all these people were pulled from those states. Like, because they wanted everyone to come back to Israel. So it destroyed Jewish culture throughout the Middle East. And you might not have anti-Semitism as it is today in the Middle East. 100% because actually you think about it. When Israel was starting, they took Jews from Egypt, from Syria, from, from Iraq, from all these countries. And 
they were living there, like they were just existing there, you know? There was no, no anti-Semitism. The difference between anti-Semitism and basically classical xenophobia, you know, it's like everybody has classical xenophobia. You, you go to the US and everybody has classical xenophobia, right? But there's a big difference between xenophobia, it's not harmful as anti-Semitism, but they turned it into anti-Semitism. And when you think about it, you call, they call Arabs, they're savages, they're anti-Semitists, they hate Jewish people. Dude, you fucking killed six million of them in Europe. Like Germans killed six million. Like and now you call Germans civilized people because they have a good economy and everything. But think about the past, man. It never came close. Like Arabs people didn't even like. If we want to keep million. shitting on Europe, I'm I'm here for it because I. As long as we main, include the UK, I'm. I'm my, one of my main arguments is like about how violent europe is like i talk about it all the time the existence of nato like people will be like oh it's to counter russia I'm like shut up it's to prevent yeah. europeans from fighting and ending the world because the last time that they fought they almost did europe if you look at like a what? you look at a like all the like a heat map of all the fights and battles in history europe is like just glowing red hot compared to everywhere else it's just always been just yeah. a violent, violent thing. It's so, it was so tri. It's better now because of like the EU and all this shit, but it was way more tribalized than anywhere else. The other places yeah, actually had the benefit of the Greeks, the Roman empires, the Sassanid empire, you know, the Persian empire, like they, the Ottoman empire, even like it, it created a commonality between all those people that Europe just never had. Yeah, I see. I, we agree on that point. Also, Europe is factually correct that they distributed the most suffering on the whole planet like the, mm -hmm. they colonized africa they colonized everybody their aid system is extremely corrupt they still like i don't want to start this topic about talking about how the aid system works in the rest of the world because it's like the whole <laughs> i mean we look at look at hezbollah <laughs> hezbollah like the the amount of ngo fronts for their money laundering scheme through aid systems like aid system like uh they like lebanon uses yeah. a law from the ottoman empire to funnel aid into their government like the aid oh, system wow. is designed yeah. to be that way that's but the while, while we're on the while we're on this topic of uh colonialism and sort of colonial thinking that's exactly what israel was right it's the uk and america and all these countries after world war ii coming together and saying we're the civilized ones we almost just ended the world and we dropped two nuclear weapons on two cities uh let's stick this place in the middle of the middle East. well it was more of like the british like, like not wanting to deal with shit anymore like how well, the french yeah. just left africa saying if it breaks yeah, don't blame yeah. us yeah. it's it's yeah. it's just how they are so it's it's more Actually, or less that on point. top of that colonial thinking it's that's israel's origin story is colonial thinking so it's no surprise that they're they've treated them this way for 60 years Listen, listen to the most based Israeli, like not the most based, but I'm, I'm talking about the most based Zionist. He, he, his argument is we lived here for, for before thousands of years. Like, Motherfucker, what are you talking about? This is not an argument. You cannot say my ancestors lived here thousands of years ago. What? But it's, it's got complicated because this happened 70 years ago, like 75 years ago, something like that. So people were, lots of people are born there. So you cannot, like, if you go back in time 70 years ago, you can like say, uh, excuse me, like this is their land. Okay, get the fuck out. But after 70 years in 2023, like you cannot say that anymore because lots of people were born there. And I have to have sympathy for the people who were born there and people who had their lives there and people who feel their that they belong like majority of the people living there like your parents or like your grandparents like even the, their fathers 
came to this land and you were born in this land and you're like, man, I know, like even the people who are extremely neutral, which is rare, think about, yeah, I think my, we were, we were up occupiers, but man, I fucking was, I was born here. It's not my fault. And it's yeah, like, I say, I say that a lot. This, it's like, it's literally not their fault that they're born yeah. there. I have an Israeli friend who's living in Israel right now and he's like extremely leftist and he says, he told me like, man, I, I want one state solution. I want peace and equality for everybody. And he told me, like, I, I asked him like, how are you doing like these days? And he said, I have to sp smoke lots of weed every day to just cope with it. You know, it's like, it's, and it's very tough. Like for, for lots of people, it's very tough. It's, you have to have sympathy for people who are peaceful, like peaceful on both sides. Like, you know, when, when, um, when Hamas attacked and, and did those awful things, people were, like sitting at home, like looking at the, at the TV and reading a magazine or something like that, they didn't know that this will happen. And when people like found out that Hamas did, did this, like I, I, I know at least three Palestinians who said, oh, fucking shit, man, this, now we have to go through this shit. Like the, you have to understand that this will happen when you do something like that. And Hamas doesn't give a shit about Palestinians. They only yeah, give, they'll, they'll tell you care about tell. their revenge. Yeah, it's it. The yeah. Nazis were the same way. The not like mm. the 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 whole um because this is when we believed in strategic bombing, which Assad and Russia still do, but just uh burning Berlin to the ground. You know, thinking that the impact of the death toll would have an effect on the Nazis to get them to surrender. But Hitler was like, if the Reich falls, then the German people have nothing anyway. So he'll fight to the last German, and that's how Hamas sees yeah. it. This this is always happens like through leadership you can call it mentality it's 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 bullshit yeah you're willing to sacrifice actually um, a Hamas leader officially said officially said we will sacrifice every Palestinians um, before we give up the Palestinian cause and this is like I'm literally quoting him and, and you your your reaction is you piece of shit there's no palestinian cause when every palestinian is dead what are you talking about this is really really sad on every level it's it's very exhausting also you know don't underestimate propaganda in our current world because even if they did that somehow they will find a way to justify everything because they're justifying everything right now you have to look at the media right now it's 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 fucked up it's look at the propaganda i saw a video today my brother sent me a video it really really wanted to cry some palestinians they don't have water it, it was cut off like even before this happened like lack of water is, is a big problem in uh, in gaza and palestinians were searching for water and like people like regular people were searching for water and the, a bomb just fell on them and people burned alive and you it's, I, I i have no words it's it's very makes me extremely angry it's, and the leftist people like they you're not fucking helping when you say when you say that that it's Hamas what Hamas did it's it's a good thing they have to fight back blah 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 dude people are suffering you you you're, you're tweeting on Twitter and saying whatever you want and you think you feel yourself like a revolutionary what are you talking about and and you I don't want to start talking about the red fascists the, the leftists who support Bashar al-Assad and 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 Putin and stuff like that you know there's lots of them. How, how did this happen? When did this happen? You know, some brain rot. <laughs> it really started in Syria. You can look at one of the ones we make fun of, Rihanna Kekik. What is her name? Rihanna Kalik. She's a, she's a Lebanese lady who you can go back and you can look at her feed and she's saying that Assad is bad. Aaron Mate, you can go back, look at his feed and there'll be posts about how he says that Assad is a tyrant and things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, all these go. people, you know, a year later end up tweeting that the chemical attacks are fake. 
you know, like these people were hired to push these narratives because they had to. That was the point. You understand that, that that some people push a narrative like Syrian girls are pushing a, a narrative and all these. Oh, people. yeah. Parmesan but girl. At, at, yeah. But she at, blocked the, me. at the individual <laughs> level, I actually like used to listen ass. to her. It's yeah. very funny. <laughs> I, I I used to listen to her. She she used to debate these foreigners in like ten years ago. And and, and but you have to understand on the individual level, not all everybody is is getting paid. Lots of people are. There's a lot of useful idiots there too. Idiots, yeah, yeah. Like you know, you know, second thought and um, walk up. Remember that post I posted on on Twitter a week ago, maybe I think, or some like five days ago. I literally like thousands of people. I think. It started hundreds of people and then thousands of people like literally calling yeah. me CIA agent or a Fed asset or something like we that because that we, we started the revolution. This this is extremely racist. This what what that because people fought then they, they call the student revolution in China also like a color revolution or Western... something along those lines, I imagine. Because they, they do it with Ukraine too. Yeah. I've heard yeah. people do it with Libya. Libya's rare stuff with Libya. Not so much back in the day but obviously there is that kind of narrative about libya that it was america and gaddafi was a good dude well, these I, I want to smoke the same stuff these people are smoking yeah it, it'd be good wouldn't it? It, it would be awesome. like i want give me two of, of those things it's actually very infuriating because i feel what happened in syria it's basically happening right now in the west because leftists are getting stronger, they have a voice right now. All these individuals are st streaming, and people are listening to them. And this red fascism growing, movement growing nationalism is like a, a, a cancer. Yeah, mm. exactly and left wing left wing nationalism too, which is the weirdest part. <laughs> they justify what Stalin did. This is they justify <laughs> a cross section of a tanky Good. brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, the most amazing thing is they always ask, so what is a tanky? What is, dude, there's articles about it. There's we have, lots we of medium about it. There's a Wikipedia. We literally have a video on what is a tanky. Like the, the, the literal term came from people in the UK who supported the Soviet Union. I'm just calling them commies now because it's funnier. It's like an old school word, you know? So I just call them all commies now because it's funnier. But <laughs> it is funny, but unfortunately there are commies that I know who are Oh, I'm, I'm totally socialist, Actually, though. Also. That's, you know, the thing is, yeah. is, I agree with you, is that the, so I, this is what I have been talking about a lot lately, is the candidates, like a lot of the progressive candidates in America have been really, it's good to get those people in. But looking at the left wing, especially because of these streamers and shit, these guys got deplatformed from Nebula, Second Thought and all them, because a question was asked. It's like, oh, are they really kidnapping civilians when, during this Hamas attack. And it was pretty early in the attack. We didn't know exactly what was going on. And and I think Hakeem just responds that I don't care, you know, and yeah, that's where yeah, the whole, like, they aren't yeah. civilians things comes from. And I think that those yeah. people that have been funded by people like Allah, the IRGC in Iran funds a lot of this. The PSL is a basic, it's a socialist party that doesn't matter here. They're basically directly connected to the IRGC and they are in a lot of protest movements like we have stop cop city here psl is a big connection there and we want this shit to not be built so we have to work with them anyway even though we know that they're totally like open assets for the irgc yeah yeah i understand you know you have to understand this is extremely important because you cannot allow more organized fractions of us 
like sub fractions of a revolution to to steal a movement and i know it's starting very light right now but i i swear the same vibes i was feeling in 2009 when i was thinking how can people put up with this something must happen like and two years later like the, the revolution series started and then it, it was a failure and got stolen away and everything if people don't fix this problem and people don't enhance their ideologies and thinking process and 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 have to educate themselves what happened and and when when the soviets um when the revolution uh, worked the, the the labor revolution in, in, in russia worked and then they took control and they turned it into dictatorship and i think it was 20 million died i, I think it, it, it was the, the red terror or something like that mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, 20 to 40 million. 20, yeah, 20 million. something between there, yeah. And I think so before, he, before he, Stalin, I think the um, October and February revolutions, I think, killed a decent amount as well. Um, but they didn't talk about those because they were killing uh, monarchists. So, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> you, you have to, like, really, you have to edu educate people and you have to understand... Yes. That being against the West doesn't mean you have to support dictators. It's, there's a big difference between saying I'm against the US and supporting Assad or saying I'm against the US and not supporting Assad. It's, mm. you, you can do both. It's not yes. you, you. It's not that like intellectually you can, polarization. you can say I'm against this and this. Yeah, exactly. And it's, mm. It makes me really mad because it brings all the terrible <laughs> memories. And yeah, it's, it's you know, um, yeah. Um, I do, I do have a question. So I have a theory with Syria that if Assad was to go through whatever means, that Syria will essentially fall into a state of crisis where you have Iran, Turkey, Russia, America. Um, look, probably Israel, a couple other powers, all flooding in to try and gain influence. I mean, how likely do you think happened. that would be? Huh? Kind of what happened. Yeah. So well, it's it's like, do, would that not happen again? How do you think that could be avoided? Because uh, obviously, that is that is a, a present issue that will always be there that's a that's a good question actually it's basically it depends on the means because you said by any means necessary so for example if what if it was like international intervention then you have to build the base for what happens after so they have to organize with local leaders and local people and uh who are acknowledged by the by the population and then they have to peacefully give control and it's a it's a very complicated process and 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 let's say that somehow the the militia kills assad tomorrow and they have control over syria of course it's, it doesn't mean that automatically peace will be peace will be the, the norm again and, and everything will work out and that's awesome no you're looking at years and years of of civil war 
because there's lots of fractions who don't like each other, lots of people who don't like each other, lots of ethnicities that don't like each other. So this this will never happen. So this is to like to answer your question. If if Assad by any means necessary gone and the Syrian revolution worked, there will still be years ahead of Syrian people to to actually get like grasp. And maybe there's lots of theories about it, uh, because the Syrian people are very tired. So maybe they will say, okay, whatever. Just I don't think there's enough resistance, mental energy for resistance anymore in Syria. They even if you. Even some people say we wish that Turkey takes control because we don't. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And that, that's like a rough yeah. country to turn to to be like this would be better for us, you know? Yeah, and actually, it's very, it's very interesting uh, question because you see, Turkey is supporting some Islamist groups, like military Islamist group, and they took over a city, Sarikani, Kurdish city, Sarikani, Ain al-Arab and Arabic, Sarikani and Kurdish, and. The Kurdish people left this city. It's like a 50,000 city. I think it's like 50,000, something like that. And the, the Kurdish people left the city because it's not safe anymore. And the, the Turks deployed all these militants and their families to live there. And it's like 100% like an empty house. You take it now, empty house. And it's 100% what Israel did. Well, they've, like also, the, they've also settled Palestinians there. And uh, New York Times did like... And uh, Efrain, like the New York Times, did an article praising Erdogan for sending Syrians back to Syria and like resettling them, but they were resettling them in Kurdish cities. Yeah, that's very fucked up because you, you're basically doing what Israel did. Like I, I saw a demonstration by some Islamists in these in this stolen city against the brutality of Israel, and you like what the fuck are you, like they're basically doing the same thing Israel did. Like how can I, how can you not see the contrast? I don't understand. Some some people. This is the problem when you base your whole argument on morality and, and no you have to be extremely neutral you have to like don't think about morality don't think about your ethnic right or religious right or any of this bullshit you have to like see yourself outside of your group and that's impossible in the middle east that's extremely like you have to like educate lots of people and something about generational trauma and generational culture and it's it's very complicated issue it's it's the reason basically why Africa is still in shambles or India is still in shambles because basically people still have this generational trauma from colonialism and it's not a magic solution. There is no magic solution. The Middle East will stay like this for decades. Gaza will get worse and worse. It will get much worse. Like you, you, you think Hamas is a problem right now. Like think about what will happen after Hamas. Hamas will even sound moderate after these people. Well, one of the one of the leading theories you know keyword theory is that because if you saw the video of the hamas leader seeing it on tv he's like genuinely shocked a lot of us have looked and believed that hezbollah iran none of them knew this was going to happen leading theory is is that this is like an inter hamas group that's like a splinter faction that is basically taking control they have enough loyalty to pull away from the leaders it's just a theory we only know what time there's like yeah I, but I give they, the example are, of uh, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, right? We can always consider them ISIS, even though we are calling them Al-Qaeda. And you can trace that group back to 95 in Jordan. Exactly, yeah. Like the, the, the splinters can form and the splinter of splinters also, can, like this happens all the time. When ISIS formed, it was 
a splinter from Qaeda and, and they called Qaeda infidels. Like, can you imagine a group extreme enough to call Qaeda moderate and infidels? Like, what the fuck? That, that's another level, you know? It's like a horrifying level. What you said, what Hamas did, it's a splinter of basic Hamas. Like, Hamas is already shitty. And what they did is even worse. And you have to, like, think about the generation, like these kids who lost everything. Do you think they will turn the other cheek and turn, like, into a Gandhi or, or like, saints or anything? No, it's a human reaction. You have to ex expect a human reaction. And many of them will turn extremists. This is not, in like, a debate or argument or theory. Like, if you force people into this savagery then they will turn savage people That's are just basically controlled by their materialistic needs principal strategy of al-qaeda and isis is management of savagery they go over all of it and how to how to create it how to destabilize the state you know when i ran away from uh, from syria i worked with with vice news and jazeera english and and the guardian and uh, we, we we did lots of like with, with vice news uh, we did lots of documents and do documentary films and stuff like that so my my name got out and and i was extremely blacklisted like i was actually got an intel that they will storm my house and, and like if, if i don't leave so i left the country and i came to syria i, I came to germany i got the political asylum and when I was in Germany, I got recognized by three people, three different Syrians. And it was always negative experience because you always scapegoat the person who just like didn't do anything, basically just like demanded something. I said, okay, this is all behind me. I have to like, I, 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 we failed, it didn't work out, shit now, and there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm going to focus on myself and I studied IT. I studied IT and started doing other stuff and stuff like that. And then when COVID started and I started seeing all these reactions, all this, like the fascism in Germany is growing increasingly by the year, right fascism. And you feel these vibes that you felt in, in Syria before the revolution and you feel tension between people and people are extremely angry. You see what's happening in the US. And I, I used to think it's not that's like what happened in Syria, it's a Syrian thing, it will not spread. but it, on a spectrum, it's not the same spectrum as what happened in Syria, but it will spread. Like it's you feel you feel it right now. You feel the anger. You, I've been watching American politics for three, four years now, and man, this level of propaganda—I've never seen this level it's of insane, propaganda right? in my life. It is <laughs> it's so crazy. It's so insane. It's so—it's like Syrian level propaganda. Like uh, my mom will come over and ask me things, and I won't even—I'll be like, "What are you talking about?" You know, and <laughs> she doesn't even watch the news anymore. I got her to stop watching the news, but she has friends, right? There's this Alan Watts quote: "A person is who thinks all the time has nothing to think about that with but thoughts, so they lose touch with reality and live in a world of illusions." And it's like that's really what's going on now and um mm -hmm. it's similar to like the manufacturing consent but i forgot what the exact term of it is but you basically have to convince people to vote for shit that they think they're voting for something else i mean look at brexit that's a perfect example of like how this shit can work out yeah. exactly yeah i'm actually rereading manufacturing consent right now it's it's very it's a very brilliant book um it's exactly what he, what they said it's like it, it, it aged like fine wine. You, everybody has, has to read it and, and you understand immediately what propaganda is happening right now in the US. It's Everybody's doing this level of propaganda. Before before Hamas attacked, I, I used to think that all these media, media outlets like uh, NBC and MSNBC and, and, and uh, CNN and everybody were like little moderate, you know? But after that, what happened? They're like, what the fuck, man? It's like this level of propaganda, even from them, 
like all these people uh late night talk sh uh shows and nobody's talking about it like what the fuck like you're supposed to like and then the only other you're, counter narrative here is that hamas is awesome and settlers aren't civilians it's literally one or the other there's no like in between for any of it and then there's us yeah <laughs> Well, there's yeah. plenty of people Actually, like crazy. us, though. Yeah, yeah. We're no, just there's, there's plenty, yeah. Yeah, the main narrative is not rational. No, it's completely irrational, and that's what the media wants. Well, I think it's, it's how they, it's how they keep capital. it unstable. Exactly. It's how they keep things unstable and how they maintain power. They keep everything crazy, right? It's It's how dictators control everything, keep it unstable. Stable for them, unstable for the people. Shut didn't, that. Yeah, didn't work out in Haiti. No. Actually, it's 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 very complicated because you, you see um, you see this level of propaganda, but you also see something that never happened also in history that this level, this quantity of people understanding what's happening right now. Like, look at yourself. Like, you understand this. What's what's happening? This. This is awesome. You know, the yeah. new generations are awesome. <laughs> I really have hope for Generation Z. I think Gen Z is, I, I really have optimism and hope from it. Because yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely optimism. Depends how they are weaponized. It could go either way at this yeah, point. There's definitely promise. Yeah, though. of course, yeah. Very willing to stand up, which is great. Just depends yeah, on what they're willing to they, stand up for. Well, They're willing also, to participate politically. Even uh, Gen Z in Iran. I say this a lot, but as far as like regimes in the world, Iran, in my opinion, is the most likely to fall right now. You know, it's like the good bet. It's the good one to yeah. put your money on. Yeah, there's a. Uh, it's very complicated. I thought it was uh, going to happen. I literally thought it was going to happen in 2022. Last year from the protest. Yeah, mm. I was con I was so I was like so confident it was going to happen. It was big. It was really big. I'm very surprised more didn't come of it. They needed guns. You know, mm. what's happening in in Palestine and Israel right now is, is is a big distraction from it, I think. And it's my might slow it down. I don't know if people inside care that much. I have to talk to some people actually. Actually, know so know a girl who's uh, very active. She's a Kurdish Iranian, and she's very active. And 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 have to ask her like, what what's happening right now? Everybody has their own revolution, mm. and it's very chaotic at the moment. It's it's crazy. There's so much going is, on. The next well, it benefits really Ukraine fun. to bring down the regime. So that's what I was hoping for: is Ukraine would start giving these people some guns, but it mm. didn't happen. It is true. I never actually oh, yeah. thought about it like that. It would benefit. Ukraine has uh, bombed Iran. There, there's been uh, theories that they did drone attacks on Iran's like drone manufacturing facilities. When, when did this happen? Oh, a while ago. It's just a theory, though. But there's only like some video of it with little quadcopter attacks. But also, it's not like, out of the picture. It, it's a viable target for them. If Iran is sending Russia drones, then fuck them. They're a part of but the But also, world. at the same time, anytime there's a quadcopter, people say they learned it from Ukraine and Russia. You know, like Hamas <laughs> did, a, did a drone drop on a tank in one of the, on yeah. the October 7th attack. And people are like, this is proof that Ukraine is involved. And it's like, guys, no, it's not. Oh, but there was quadcopters, you know, and I, I wouldn't put it past like Mossad to be able to do that as well. But it was a bizarre no, This is attack. actually very funny because people really, people are really racist because they have this bigotry of low expectations. Like, <laughs> yes. 
it's Hamas is a terror organization and they're very bad people, but they're smart. They did create all of this shit. They did do that. Like they did make a system and they're people, they're people. What do you actually think that they're like Bedouin savages that they live in the desert and don't know anything? What the fuck are you talking about? All they have to, all they, you know, the only thing they have is time to think. What else do they have? Yeah, exactly. In those tunnels, right? It's actually very interesting what's happening right now in the world. And I'm actually very amused by it. It's uh, The next election in the US will be like, I will buy lots of popcorn for it because mm-hmm. the level of propaganda is so entertaining. Like you have to like, you read what Marjorie Taylor Dean is writing on Twitter and you're like, she's a psycho. It's level <laughs> yeah. of insanity. The fact that like our budget is held up because there's fascists in government that are able to have that much power that they're able to like prevent, like the government almost shut down just because we have a few fascists there. Just a few of them. Because Imagine of if they had more. feeling it in. Oh, democracy has never been secure. That's yeah. the flaw of it. But it's the best system we've got, I think. So even far. It's yeah, but it is still the best system. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when they called the civil disobedience, they, they called it in, in, well, insurrection. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It an insurrection. And like, what are these people smoking, man? It's very awesome because the, the, new, the new speaker is also very is ultra religious. It's very Man, religious. You know when, I've when been I saying first... this forever, forever, years. I've been saying this for years yeah. that it's like religious fervor. This this tribal politics has become religious fervor and it's really dangerous. It is, yeah. You, you know, when, when you educate yourself enough to understand all these problems in every mentality in the West, you start thinking that people are exactly the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. Susceptible to to propaganda. I say this all the time. When Hitler was a human here. being. Yeah. Yes. Of, co- yeah, of course. Of course he was. It's, it's like what he did is inhumane. What do you think humans are? Humans are monsters. Uh-huh. They can be monsters. They can be good people. And when I first came to Germany, uh, the, the first three months, I uh, knew some people who were working in activism and stuff like that. And they were interested in my story and they asked me to present a lecture in a university in, in Germany. And I... This did this lecture. After the lecture, um, I asked the students, German students, do you have any questions? And a German guy asked me, hey, why do you come illegally here? Like, why don't you just u- use your passports? And, it's such a sheltered question. Yeah, oh, my God. And, and, and I, I, it's like, this is this guy is a, is a student, like a European student. I had like really high expectations from people. And this guy just <laughs> destroyed everything and had def- depression ever since. And this is like people are the same like just like look at parenting culture systems that benefits you governmental systems it's everything's everything is systemic you can either raise a good population with education and good system in healthcare and good nourishment and all these vitamins and stuff like that or you can destroy them like what what what's happening right now in in any country in the world that's not first world people are suffering from trauma from from you you name it like parents don't treat for their kids before they sleep which is very good for the development of the brain just compare your life and compare theirs like they you cannot even compare it and then you expect them to turn the other cheek to turn into gandhis or or jesus Jesus, i don't know it's i don't know you expect yeah people, people are people are hopeful but ignorant 
I also say like they think that they're so privileged by democracy. They think that if people really wanted democracy, they would just have them. It's almost like they believe like the Ayatollah and Assad and Saddam were all like almost elected, you know? And well, that, always, like, the Arab Spring shows that if people God. want democracy, it's not going to just happen. It's people people privileged. always talk about how um, Putin has a 95% approval rating or mm-hmm. Xi Jinping has an 89% approval rating or whatever these bullshit numbers are. It's like, yeah. Of course yeah. they have those numbers because if you say that you don't like them, you die. Like it's yeah, it's very simple. You know, it's and actually it, very funny because the same people on the on the extreme left, like the red fascist tankies, they they post all these good things about Bashar al-Assad and Putin and stuff like that, but they don't know the inner politics because Bashar al-Assad did a, a very famous speech in the Middle East like um, six months ago, and he literally said, like I, I'm quoting him literally, he said. These LGBTQ people in in our country is a, is a, an degenerate attack from the West to destroy our values. Like what? The, did, like, did he rip that straight from Putin? <laughs> well, like uh, yeah. a lot of he these tankies like and red fascists actually hate LGBT as well. When you get really far they, down, they there. also they also like most of them like they they pretend to be LGBT. They, they I think they are LGBTQ. But they also hate them, themselves. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It could possibly be. It could be that uh, there's high potential that that could be. You'll see a lot of that on, um, that. like the so-called political right. The whole thing about that's another mm-hmm. thing is just getting rid of the right-left binary. Like binaries don't exist in politics or gender, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the the binary of politics needs to die. I mean, we've we've been saying this forever. It's just this this left right thing needs to die. It's it's doing nothing but damage. It was invented uh, by terrorists. Yes, <laughs> you know, I, I I have a I have a theory about how we can solve this, and it's maybe controversial. I think political correctness needs to be more pragmatic. It's starting to you have to understand political correctness is good, but it has to be more pragmatic. You you have to be allowed to talk about certain things mm. the conversation you know, needs you to be to had like... while also uh, understanding what you're talking about not so much exactly. this, this policing of language that political correctness was and works calling needs to stop mm. it's very complicated and you have to like be pragmatic about it draw the line at certain places like you cannot say the n-word of course but you can for example, start a sushi restaurant if you're. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Do you see this? No, we we yeah. So like, what's funny about that is that people are so ignorant to think that they've had Japanese sushi in America. You've never had <laughs> Japanese sushi. You have Americanized sushi. You have Americanized Chinese food. That is not Chinese food or Japanese food. So Australians, they have like just a bigger sushi culture than America. So they just have some more rolls than we do. So she's starting an Australian style sushi restaurant and they think that's inauthentic. (laughs) It's like, it's literally more authentic and closer (laughs) to Japan than we are. Like they're right there. Yeah, exactly. And And we we even have like proper sushi platters too. You can buy actual raw fish not just california rolls and sound delicious yeah yeah i want some of it 
it's, it's, it's very interesting because Japanese people will be delighted. Like if, yes. if I hear some people make falafel, like Germans make falafel, I will be like, yeah, man, do it, mm. do it, man. Do hummus, do everything. It will be know, awesome. You know what's like really good to use culture. falafel for is you can make veggie burgers with it. You can use it as like the mm. main ingredient yeah. for veggie burgers and like blow people's Way minds better. because it's actually like seasoned meat and it's not because like they use like black bean burgers and stuff. <laughs> you order a veggie burger here, but like I'll cut up like mushrooms and use falafel as the main grain in it. We have them too, I think. Mm. We have we have like a German restaurant that make that falafel burger. It's actually a good idea, and uh, sesame sauce. And these all the all the people who are offended are basically just white people. Like nobody is getting offended. Always, always. You, life can be. It happens here too. Better. It's absurd. It's this it's, American. It's, this it's American... a desperation to be a victim. That's the thing. Yeah. So they it, have it's, to like it's... victimize themselves to like then like kind of like imagine themselves as victims and like it just goes on and on. And the both sides do it. I call it American neuroticism. <laughs> yeah actually it, it, it very much is american it, it, yeah it's it's very much an american thing we'll probably yeah. wrap soon yeah yeah wrap we got wrap Wrapping up on questions. any thoughts we want to wrap up on so, do you have any less questions well i wanted to talk a little bit about because so for example um one of our friends who is uh he's like a very very far left maoist but he's been fighting with like jackson hinkle and all these people <laughs> You know, and uh, oh my god! I, so I said, is, I said, is... uh, you should talk to somebody from Idlib, and like a bunch of Jackson Hinkle's followers comment on, be like, oh yeah, so like um, they're like, oh yeah, you're gonna platform Al Nasr front, and I'm like, they dissolved in 2017. Like nobody's <laughs> nobody he would platform who lived in Idlib would be Al Nasr front. They're not around. Like even like you're, uh, like you you're equating every Idlib citizens to to this. A group like what the fuck this yeah, is this, really this is the brain what this is the brain this is why you block and ignore man this is so fucked up it's like and you're thinking about about yourself as a moral human being who have like higher morals and uh, man it's actually very amusing because it's you have to understand my position like somebody who came from that war and now seeing spread spread it's not schadenfreude it's just like <laughs> A little bit of universal justice, like you have to see what we we, we saw. It's very the, the universal. Thing that, the and thing we, that really gets me is how the, it always comes around to kicking the Kurds. This is the thing that I don't understand. Yeah. Is somehow it always comes back around to that. I think this is the last point to end on. It's it's a very good point. I think um, this shit will spread in the West. I give it like ten years before it, it explodes. Lots of boomers will die. The new generation will grow up. All these people, Gen Z and the youngest people who, who still cannot vote and all these people will grow up and will start voting and education will enhance and you will have to, you will see like a extreme demographic change switch in the political campus mm -hmm. of everybody. I th and I think the current GOP in America is about to like collapse under their own weight. They just can't. Yes, that will happen. I'm, I'm sure of it. Like give them four years max. And this this is actually extremely interesting because these next 10 years we just have to like people like you who do do these streams i respect it very and you have to like raise your voice and talk about it because the next 10 years in human life will be like the most important in human history like the, the next 10 years will decide everything and like literally every 
historian, every intellectual, every everybody is saying this. Like the next ten years will decide the next hundreds of years. Mm. So we have to like educate ourselves and educate everybody else, and and we're just basically human. Like you don't have to be morally over over it, like morally extreme, or you have to be like bad, or you just have to be pragmatic, think positively of humans, po- positively positively of human nature, but also understand that humans can turn into monsters if they were cornered into like doing bad stuff or like to, to revenge or ideology or everything. Emotion is a big part of it, you know? You have to just kind of pull yeah. emotions out of all your thinking yeah. when you think about these things. Yeah, 100%. And we, we are be emotional beings. We cannot help it. Yeah, don't be a cunt. <laughs> and you got, that's we'll it. End it on that. <laughs> that's...